Hey, are you guys familiar with the term shindiggery? Shin diggery. diggery. Is this how is we're that, starting the podcast? This is how we're starting the podcast. Is that like when somebody <laughs> I just kicks took 10 you? seconds to think how Is that a soccer thing? thing? <laughs> like when you kick somebody in the shins? <laughs> shin diggery. I was at a okay. concert uh, last Sunday. I've heard Sunday. of a shindig, uh, shin, well, that's, but I've never heard it turned into shin diggery. I think it's an Irish thing because oh. I was at a concert Sunday. But you got to uh, say it with an accent. The Wren Collective. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, I've heard uh, of them. So they did a few, and they're, they're an Irish Christian yeah. band. Boy, the energy. These guys and and the instruments, strange instruments, mm-hmm. and they uh, they well they were trying to create an atmosphere of shindiggery. Um, <laughs> did they, they say they were? Yeah, oh, they did. I was okay. looking around the room, and it was. I mean, it's all white people, so there's okay. not a lot of rhythm in the in the seats. But there were nah. several thousand people involved in shindiggery. Nice. Uh, so it, by it, the end of the evening, would you say it was very shindiggerous? Well, it was, but mercy me, closed. So oh, yeah. so Bart Millard, the lead there, does a sermonette. Mm-hmm. Kind of at the middle. And then he always ends with a few hymns, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, by the way, for those of you who've tuned in, welcome to Bombadil's Porch, where we are. <laughs> Thank you for least, joining us. <laughs> at least exploring the idea of shindiggery. Um at the concert. Magnanimously. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I gotta re-listen. I gotta <laughs> we recorded that so long ago. <laughs> I've got to re-listen to that episode. The um I've never been, I've never even heard of a band, any band, Christian music or otherwise, that does, did a campfire during the concert. So mercy me at one point, they uh, talked about how during COVID they'd rent it, they bought a cabin and rented a cabin and they were writing all this music and they would, the, their most special times were out behind the cabin where they had this fire pit and they would just play and hang out. Hmm. And, um, and they said, it would have been great to bring all of you there, but, you know, not everyone can fit around our fire pit. So we decided to bring it to you. And then all of a sudden, like middle of the stage, well, actually all the LED mesh screens, so all the video screens went to this amazing twilight forest scene. Nice. Um, he cued the cricket sound. So that turned on. And then there were little tiny, you could see up on the screens, just little flashes like fireflies. Hmm. And then this log fire sprung to life in the middle of the stage. And then they sat down around it with, and did an acoustic set of a few different songs. It was pretty cool. That is Uh, really cool. Yeah. We need to have an LED mesh in a fireplace. Yeah, I for, can for help. a church stage. I think yeah, I can you, help you sort you're all that about out. That. I can oh, yeah? help you sort that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah we forgot this guy can help set that kind of stuff up. Yeah. We always try to call him in. There's shindiggery, and then there's tech. Degree. I'm involved yes. in tech degree. Skullduggery? No, I'll, we'll have to <laughs> think different. of a word. Um, by the way, listener, welcome to Bombadil's Porch. Uh, mm. We uh, <laughs> take three. We are. In typical fashion. Here we go. Um, this is why they don't let me open um, very often on this show because I take us in unplanned directions. But we are three dads uh, based here in the Spokane area. Yes. Um, and I forget the, the things that we were. Spokane I forget area. the things we endeavored to pursue when we started this camaraderie and shindiggery um, and other <laughs> things. But above all, uh, we are three dads, but we are Some, three sons of the king. How about Saint Diggory? Oh, I like that. Um, that sounds me, like a person. Give me some this time. I'll come up with a word. <laughs> uh, above all, we're sons of the king. And, um, and, and I found this interesting after our last conversation, when we recorded the, uh, we talked about a lot of things, but we talked about uh, being magnanimous. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that struck me after that is personality wise, the three of us are quite different. 
True story. Um, but in terms of mission and passion for the mission mm. and the mission being the mission of pursuing the Lord and obeying him, um, that aligns us. So I think that's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and, um, but there are some things and I forget which story we're going to start with here. I was getting ready to segue, but we have like three stories we want yes. to chat about. One you can eat, one that <clears throat> you can get in trouble for saying out loud. Ooh, I forgot what that one was. Curses. Oh yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you for the reminder there. I was going to start off and with one about dudes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we've got, we've got commonality amongst the three. I wonder if you all would indulge me if, mm. if we might, um, being three different distinct personalities, I'm wondering if we have alignment or if we have very different <laughs> opinions about what constitutes good pizza. So, um, mm. that's our move. So Caleb, I'm, I'm making eye contact with you. Staring into you your eyes. You want to know what makes good pizza? Yeah, because you were, you lived in Italy, so you might I have did. an edge here. Uh, we do have a story about a new style of pizza. I think this is going to be controversial. We'll see mm. as we wade into this. Uh, but in terms of pizza style, what's what, what are you? What's your go to? What's your favorite? There's a lot of kinds of pizza, Caleb. What is it? Hmm. Italian pizza. No, <laughs> I, like in Italy, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like a, a thinner crust. I like it to be uh, to be crispy yet pliable. Like so, you know, it's not like soggy, right? You don't want to like Do you fold a, your, your. So yeah, slice? So I, I like to pick up a, a decent sized slice and kind of fold it in my hand to eat it. I like the um, fold. most Italians use uh, actually use knife and fork. You're kidding. Me. Knife and fork is the correct way I think to eat pizza. Not chopsticks. Not chopsticks. Okay. Um, so the fold but, that's kind of an American yeah, thing. Yeah. Oh, How about the sandwich? The do you do the sandwich? Thing? The sand well I have done the sandwich, but it's really good with leftover pizza. You take this, you know, you slap two pieces together and make yeah. a sandwich out of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is good. Actually, if you've got like Hawaiian, that. which I'm not necessarily a big fan of, but if you have it and you take a pepperoni slice the same size and you flip them over on each other, then it's, mm. then it's, worth, then it's a little more worthwhile. Ew. There's just something Ooh. really interesting about sweet that. sweet pig. Yeah, a little sweet with the pig action going. Uh, it, it face to face, right? Like so, you've uh, you, yeah, you know, face to face, topping to topping is how yes. you connect crust these to sky, slices. Crust to plate, oh. yes, yeah, that is good. Yeah. I do, I do enjoy doing it that way as well. I the college special. I thought I was a connoisseur, but I haven't tried some of these techniques. That. I need to try but that. There I, you go. I prefer, yeah. I mean, I simple ingredients that are that are good, good ingredients. Um, so, I, you know, I, I Italians don't really the Italian pizza doesn't really like cut up your ingredients and spread them out throughout the I do kind of like that in the American pizza where every bite you're kind of getting everything. What do the Italians do? They, they just, just pile cheese in one part of the pie and well, they don't well, pile it. They it's don't, usually like sliced yeah. soft mozz. So uh, no. Yeah, they put pizza around that melts in. Yeah. But then if you're going to get something else, there'll be like a couple blobs of gorgonzola or you know that sort of thing or some fresh cheese or something. That can be pretty good those yeah. globs. And then they put like so pepperoni is, is an exception. You kind of get a little bit more of it. But, you know, if you're going to get, I mean, just different topics like peppers, you're going to get probably slices of peppers and they're going to be put on, you know, bigger. We're not going to have diced peppers. You're going to have sliced peppers or whatever it is. That, and there's normally only two or three ingredients, you know, like topping, if you will, um, ingredients or, or, or one or none. But, yeah, um, anyway. did I mean, we always think of the Italians as the originators of pizza. Are they? Is that where it really got invented, or is it somewhere else? <laughs> How would you define a pizza? 
because the word pizza, oh, yeah. I think it's just an Italian word. Well, yeah, listen yeah. to the accent. Yeah. You see Chris the pizza, went the accent. Pizza. Pizza. Pizza is an Italian but word, yes. If you're asking, like, with a... Did the Italians come up with the idea of having a flat piece of bread and putting stuff on it? Then no. No, they did not. <laughs> almost every culture, almost every culture <laughs> yes. came up with that at some point. So I wonder... you could tell, moms of every age have been overworked with all the yeah. kids running around. And you could see them, you know, especially if they're in Italy, like, think... I'm going crazy. Let's put the cheese on this flat piece of bread. Yeah, there's some legend. It's I don't remember out it, of Mario but... Kart. That accent <laughs> is so bad. The idea of tomato sauce uh, uh, yes. is, is not an Italian original because... Italians are not native to it. I mean, <laughs> Italians are, are native. not native to tomato. tomatoes. Are not, <laughs> I'd tomatoes like to are not native. That native. Last comment. Uh, That's interesting. Italians <laughs> are native to Italy. I mean, de- depending which region you're from, some of the Italians that are there may not have heritage that's native to Italy. But anyway, especially in the north. Chris but, was, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead, Caleb. There go we go. No, no, no. I'm good. So, like, here, I, uh, artisan pizzas are pretty good. I think that's that one over by. Uh, um, uh, that uh, the Hey Jay's kind of near there. That little oh, pizza yeah. place. That's a cool little spot it's there. A good, it's a good, that's one of the closer ones yeah, we've had locally. Good. And like Mod Pizza kind of gets a similar idea because in Italy, mm-hmm. everybody buys their own pizza. And if you can't finish it, you take it home. I mean, once in a while, a couple of people will share, mm-hmm. like a couple of girls if they're not very hungry. But it's pretty rare that you go in a you know, you get two guys, hey, let's just share a pizza. Not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but part of that is it's again thin, a thinner crust. It's not as it's not as um, heavy, not as much mm-hmm. grease and stuff like that in there. So it's just a a little bit lighter. The grease, I think ingredients. It was all developed in New Jersey and New York, right? Yeah. That's where we introduced the greasy pizza, That's which, right. by the way, is my favorite by far. Um, um, you could run a car off the grease on a good <laughs> slice of pizza, <laughs> or at least at least lubricate the engine. Sure, Chris. What about you? What's your uh, favorite style of pizza? Yeah, I'm a little bit on the uh, American garbage disposal end of the uh, the food consumption thing. So there's not a lot of pizza that I would turn my nose up at. Mm-hmm. Right? And part of that is a job requirement for being a youth pastor. That's right. <laughs> That's so true. Little Caesars hot and ready. Mm, that looks good. Um, Cold Costco, pizza for breakfast. Costco pizza is probably the best pizza deal around. That is pretty good. Little Caesars does have a little something. I don't know if it's something they put underneath or whatever. Yeah. But like kind of Parmigiani, kind of like a little bit yep, salty yep. thing. Not even real Parmesan. It's the American no, Parmigiani. But, but there is something is about something, something. once in a while grabbing a piece of Little Caesars and you go, mm, mm-hmm. there's something there that draws you in. It's yeah. probably um, MSG. Probably. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's, but it's, it's, yeah. it's the cardboard flavor, right? Yeah. But there's a saltiness the to it that kind of goes, mm-hmm. like, once, like, I don't I know typically get that kind of pizza, but once in a while, like, if one of the kids brings one home or before when we were at a youth event or somebody brings one in for some reason and you grab a piece, it's just, but it's a little Caesars thing. They've got something there's about something, it. Yeah, there's something in there. Um, anyway. I, I do think I there's a certain level of greasiness where I, I do start to want to tap out, mostly just because... I don't. I don't like to be baptized by my food. I still want to eat it and feel like oh, I can interact with the world around me. And that pizza grease never comes out of a uh, shirt. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, I used to work in a school cafeteria for a while, and they would do competitions to see how many napkins you know you could soak through uh, per slice, and it was a lot. Uh, although, if if you're going to say okay. If if pizza in general is is good stuff, is there a pizza that really stands out? There are two that come to mind. Mm. Uh, one that I had in Bellingham on an anniversary trip with my wife. They have a little wood fire pizza place up in Bellingham, 
And I can't remember exactly all that was on there. Uh, various fungi and some fig and Ooh. some meats. And I don't remember exactly what was on there. But it's oh. one of those places where you're looking out the window at their herb garden. And so you order your pizza and there's like a dude out there walking around snipping off fresh herbs. And they throw <laughs> it on your pizza. And mm. that was really good. And then the other was in, in Switzerland, I had a proper prosciutto e fungi Ooh, uh, pizza. And kind of the way Caleb was describing, it's like, here's a piece of meat here. There's a piece of meat there. Here's a blob <laughs> of mats here, a blob of mats there. There's your mushrooms. Yeah. And and it was just incredibly simple, but all the flavors were just really, really good. Mm. And so mm. that's probably my my pizza story. I haven't had like a true Chicago deep dish, I think, before. We, and uh, I'm not sure what New York style pizza is exactly, but I've heard that that's also a thing. Thin, but not cracker thin, foldable for sure. Yeah, very foldable. Actually, over in Post Falls, there the NYPD yeah. in the strip mall, whatever that is, or yeah, outlet we've been, malls. We've been there. Chris that's, has been there. That's, oh, is that New York style? That's yeah, probably as close as close. Okay. Yeah, the, they um, cut it into like I mean, there they had the big ones mm-hmm. and they cut them into squares. They didn't even cut it into. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That now I don't know. That's the place. About. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that was good. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't mind that. The I, one with the potato chips on it was a little different. That was odd. I have not tried yeah. that. We go. Oh, yeah, we get one with the potato chips. I wasn't mm. sure. Yeah. So so uh, good. Con- it sounds like we're all in the general <laughs> ballpark now. This. Um, <laughs> I this, like pizza. Yes, we <laughs> like that pizza. The ballpark? <laughs> That's the ballpark. Um, but this business, this article that you shared with us, yeah. Chris, it sounds like someone has gone too far to me. Yep. Um, and I think I told you guys, I like, I, I'm one of these people that actually likes change. I kind of like uh, variety and different experiences and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess you could call me a progressive, not, not socially or culturally, but in terms of experience, I always want to try something go. different. This, however, um, seems to, mm-hmm. seems to be, uh, it's, it's really got me riled. I'm a little offended by this article. Would you share yeah, this more? doesn't, this doesn't ring true to me. Now I get the fact that having been here for only a dozen years in the fine city of Spokane, that that doesn't really count. Like you don't get to say you're from Spokane until you've been here for 20 is my understanding. 20. Well, but I'm, that's, I'm born and partially raised yeah, you're, here. So you're naturalized. I'm, I'm naturalized. So, <laughs> so you get have a pass. I don't think I've been here 20 years have yet. Have you clung to a total pass. of 20 or not quite? I don't you're think so. No, if, because... if you're an immigrant, like like a foreigner, like yeah. me from the wrong side of the state, et cetera, yeah. then, uh, then they, they start the clock and it's a long one. Yeah. But in the time that I have been here, there are certain things that it's like, that's kind of a Spokane thing. When I think initially like Spokane food or flavor, the first thing that comes to my mind is huckleberries. Okay. Because yeah. I don't hardly see huckleberries anywhere else. And I come to Spokane and you guys, get, we got huckleberries in everything. Yeah. Yeah. If you so, want, yeah. Huckleberry taffy, huckleberry licorice. Huckleberry ice cream, huckleberry oh, drinks, cider. huckleberry yeah. sauces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just huckleberry everything. We do. We do pride ourselves in our huckleberries. What else would you say would be some like key Spokane flavors or zips? So I get the fry sauce connection in, in this thing we're going to talk about. But zips is like, I mean, it's you don't have it on the west side of the state, do you? That's a, wasn't it? Are there zips anywhere but here? Yes. Okay. But it's just like, no, but not only, you know only. Really defi- I mean, uh, Spokane is known for its McDonald's. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's not. Zips There's, is not McDonald's. There is I will some, say there are zips, more zips here than I've ever seen in any other city. Zips, but where else have you seen zips? I mean, zips end about at the Cascades, I think, and they only go over into Idaho a little bit. So I went through a zips drive yeah, through once enough. when I first moved here. Okay. I've never been back through voluntarily since. No, the drive through uh, takes forever. Oh, it's yeah. And, and the mm-hmm. end result is, well, okay, that was 25 
hundred minutes of my life waiting that I couldn't get back. But have you tried their fry sauce? But the locals do like it. So I go play golf with some of the guys here at church, some of the retired fellows. And it's like every time you're going to Zips afterwards, um, the fry sauce is pretty good. So when I was in youth group back in the day, when we came back on furlough uh, out in Medical Lake, like the special thing event was like they would drive us like as an outing to Zips and they would order a couple like a tub of fries and a tub of tater tots and we just get all the sauces and we just sit there and eat that. It was fantastic. So that was kind of like okay, the Okay, so uh, maybe, maybe the fry sauce Caesar's? is more of a thing than I thought. Spokane does the, like its the tarter tots too. too. Yeah. Spokane does like its tots. I've never There's seen a, anywhere that has tater tots to get into a lot so of things <laughs> yeah. around here. Yeah. So, think okay. some other, what well, are some other things? So, so I, I, asked sauce Darryl, I asked Daryl Zeiss once. How long have you been talking about get, this? Oh, my get, goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's food. Of course we're going to yeah. talk about it. Uh, Daryl Zeiss was out playing golf with, and okay. I was uh, Hi, trying to get, <laughs> hey, Daryl, um, trying to get to know the guys a little bit. And, and I, it was, I was, we had, I think I had an anniversary coming up, something mm-hmm. special, a special date with Anita coming up in the, maybe a month out. And I asked Daryl, I said, um, hey, you've been here forever, right? He retired from working for the city. He knows the area well. What would be a good restaurant for a special event, like a date night with with Anita? And he didn't skip a beat. He said zips. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally hear Daryl saying that. But and then he probably you know, hit his next shot and was off. Nice. Uh, okay, so okay, we, uh, so we established fry sauce. fry sauce as a thing, which is good because that's also where this pizza begins. <laughs> Let well, me paint you a picture. That, I was trying to create a, a connection with it, the pizza. It was a connection, yeah. So, this is a real article, right? Yeah, this is a, Como, yeah, I mean, of a K-O-M-O. sort from Como. Yeah. So, uh, so here's the deal. It, it, the way this is presented by uh, a chef who, who who put this together on his show and called it the Spokane style. He went viral pizza. on TikTok with it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess you started with a casserole dish, which I mean, you're making a pizza, so. Already, I am suspicious. I have never, ever in my 12 years of being in Spokane seen a pizza come out of a casserole dish. Yeah, I haven't either. A so, pan? Even so a that's Chicago interesting. deep dish is not no, a casserole not a casserole. No, I've like seen a, casseroles. Yeah. I mean, I've been in churches. But, we, we but, know what our casserole dish is. Let's say, for some reason, that uh, yeah. we give them the casserole dish. Give them the casserole dish. Let's Next give them the thing you know, you throw dish. your pie crust on top. Pie which, crust. Oh, the, the which pizza would mean, pie. Okay. Which would mean pizza. it goes on bottom, right? You don't throw the pie crust on top if it's going first into the casserole dish. Yeah. Go, so anyway, uh, and then using Nate's favorite descriptor, he squirts oh, on fry sauce. Uh, which he refers to as a local Spokane delicacy, which it sounds like maybe it is. Maybe he gets it from Zips. I like how fry sauce is in quotes up there on the article. <laughs> yes. Like it's something it special. Something special. <laughs> Mayo, ketchup, right. relish. <laughs> Done. Uh, but then here's, here's where we get to um, the, the heart of the flavor. Canned salmon, bell peppers, and onions. Topped off with mozzarella cheese and sliced strawberries. Mm. See, I would have even forgiven him a lot of the rest of that nonsense if it was topped with fresh huckleberries. 
I would at least say that does sound like something somebody would try in Spokane. That's true. The strawberries are our giveaway. I did give I was away. Like, Wait a minute. Now you might call this the Marysville special, the city I grew up in, because it was you know they had the strawberry parade and they had all the strawberry sure. fields around. So you know if you stuck a strawberry on something, you could call it the Marysville something. Yeah, okay. this should have this should have but, like fresh lilac oil and like, that's right. <laughs> we have lilacs as well. That's, that's another right. huckleberry. But, yeah, if this had been anything. With huckleberries on top, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's Spokane style. <laughs> you would have just thought, man, I guess I didn't know that about Spokane. The <laughs> only thing pizza about this is the mozzarella cheese and maybe the crust. So after, after taking a bite, I guess I'm reading a different article here, but it says, he mm. says, he says, Get that good quality Eastern Washington salmon. And didn't he just put canned salmon on there? Yeah, like, and, and what is we have good quality it? salmon in Eastern Washington? I mean, I guess I we have know. we have some salmon, right? I mean, but but why is it any better here? Because they swam because, further. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but that beautiful creamy fry sauce. Oh mm. man! Anyway. What's the guy's name? Who invented uh, this whole thing? Well, I know supposedly. who he invented it, but this this article that I ran across was being prepared by one John Sherer. Sherer? Josh. Josh. Is it John? Mine says John. John, John yeah, Sherer. I've got this Josh. glare on the screen. It I might, can't really be, uh, might be a mistake. It's John or Josh. But apparently okay. he is known as the mythical chef for a show he has called Good Mythical Morning. Oh. Well, he's, a, he's kind of like an add-on to Good Mythical Morning. It comes, there were, he's not one of the OG guys on there. But anyway. You know this show? You're familiar with... Yeah, Your best yeah, my kids. No, Josh, John, no, Rhett and Rhett and Link, uh, Rhett and Link, and Good Mythical Morning. They were kind of a big YouTube thing that you know. My uh, early on, they were kind of uh, they. I don't know if they were open about Christian faith and stuff, but then they since they, I don't know, they, have you they, they deconstructed. Them? Have but, you mentioned them before? I don't know, but yeah, anyway, they, 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 they were a real wholesome. Yeah. They were a real wholesome, like YouTube show, Good Mythical Morning. Like you was, you were fine letting your kids watch it because it was kind of funny and interesting, entertaining. It was nothing really great. There was nothing spiritual necessarily about it either. But it was just you know, kind of like uh, those. Uh, what was the other? Uh, did kind of funny videos that were popular for the, the Mormons. One? No, oh. the Mormon, the Mormon. Uh, oh, the Studio C. Studio right? C. Kind of like, yeah. kind of like Studio C, oh, where okay. where it was, you know, I mean, but this was just two guys, kind of a talk show, doing silly stuff, eating hot peppers and doing, you know, kind of crazy, <laughs> weird stuff, seeing who could eat the hottest one. How do you uh, look at this article again? How do you cook a? What does it mean to cook a pizza Detroit style? To get the crispy crust I don't in know. a casserole dish. <laughs> I'm just skeptical on this, this. There's way too much city name dropping in this article. Yeah. Um, is it so? And this went on TikTok. Is Apparently, that, yes. Uh, I think yeah. This is the ticking and talking here. Wow! Look at that. Uh, I do notice it. I can't quite read it because my screen capture is blurry, and it was a screen capture from an article that screen captured. <laughs> but if I'm reading this correctly, the heart. Clicks to comment clicks ratio is atmospheric. Let's see if, if I try it's called something right in the Twitter getting ratioed. ratioed. I think they just right. got ratioed into oblivion <laughs> here on this one. I like the comments that we can kind of read here. Well, I like the first one the first there one by we, Aberrant Void. We don't talk, talk about, about Eastern, Eastern Washington. Washington. <laughs> but uh, we do talk about you, Western Washington, <laughs> quite a bit. Well, yep, we do not eat salmon from a can. Yeah. There's a, a lot of comments. There are uh, mixed, sarcastic, and unclarifying. So, uh, yeah. So, if any of you out there want to uh, contact us 
and clarify, because I'm going to just go ahead and as a non-Spokaneite even, I'm going to say this is not Spokane style. I'm just going to go on yeah. the record. But I would I would be uh, very amused to discover I was wrong and that this is a thing that has been like out there and I just didn't discover it yet. Hmm. I was going to make a declaration that this is not pizza, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> which could be controversially as, controversial as well. There you go. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, canned salmon. No. I don't think I've ever had canned salmon. I have. It is. Memorable? It does not. Oh, it does not compare. Okay. It's not right. I think I opened up a can of canned pink salmon and decided it needed to go to my chickens. I think that's about how that worked. I thought I had big plans of making like like salmon cakes, like crab cakes. Mm-hmm. Once you looked at it, that yeah, was it. Yeah. That was, no, I was not going to do it. My grandpa yeah. loved salmon, and growing up, we did, it was not infrequent. We would necessarily have like a nice oh, salmon, yeah. and it was just it's so good oh, when yeah. it's cooked well. Yes. Even even as sushi, smoked <laughs> yeah. salmon is good. Yeah. On a plank, you can do that. But, your own uh, grill. Mm, by the time you cook it down till it's just like dry tuna and throw it in a can, it's like, what have you done to this poor fish? <laughs> uh, so no, thank you. No thanks. But just as a pro tip for all you TikTokers out there, just put huckleberries on it. Yeah. It's that easy. Spokane, Spokane. style. Blah 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 Spokane blah. Spokane style blah. lemonade. With it's just huckleberries. Le- lemonade with huckleberries. Well, hopefully we've Spokane inspired style. someone. There you go. But po- I- Spokane style Coca Cola. It would be believable. Huckleberry syrup in it. I was about. You to- should try that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was, I was I just was, thinking Chris likes his Coke I was and he gets to... cherry Coke sometimes or grenadier or grenadine. What do you call that in there? You call it cuckleberry. <laughs> there we go. Cuckleberry. I was about to cast a curse on this pizza recipe, but oh, uh, sorry. Oh, talk oh, about, talk a, about a, a flailing attempt. There's to a transition. <laughs> curses, curses, curses. Uh, yes. Chris, you, speaking of curses, now that I've brought that up, mm-hmm. Chris, you found a, a, an interesting article here from the Houston Chronicle. That sounds official. Yes. Um, from the suburbs of Houston, the great, great town of Katy. But Caleb, you informed me that this is actually a region now, right? Houston just never stops growing. That's what happens. (laughs) Um, But coming out of Katy, uh, the headline here is ancient, oh, sorry, ancient Hebrew curse tablet found by Katy archaeologist could be proof of older Bible timeline. Uh, What is an ancient Hebrew curse tablet? (laughs) I tell you, but then we wouldn't be able to publish this podcast. Picture looks like pieces of bread, but I'm sure that's some kind of a stone. <laughs> Doesn't it though? <laughs> yes. It does. Looks like, looks like Italian flatbread. That's yeah. the first pizza. That's the first pizza. <laughs> it's always amazed me when you, uh, when you look at, you know, illustrations of some of these ancient artifacts in a notebook where it's been recreated by an artist and all the letters are clearly visible. Yes. And then you start to look at photographs of what they dug up and you're like, oh, those poor, poor, poor people. It looks had like to try pe- to, petrified bread. Yeah. It, it really kind of does. And, you know, <laughs> some similar ingredients. But this this was a fun one. Uh, it was made out of lead, which is also interesting. So it's a lead curse tablet. So somebody went to some trouble here. They meant yes. business. Oh yeah, when you're cursing people, you got to and you're a, cursing them with lead tablets. Yeah, it's, that's, that's how serious. you make your words heavy. Yeah. Uh, but th- this is fun because it's this—it's the kind of sense of humor that God has, <laughs> uh, which which I love. In biblical scholarship, uh, there's often been a criticism that there's no way. Uh, the Pentateuch or the Old Testament, many parts of the Old Testament could have possibly been written around the time that they are purported to be or by the people they're purported to be written by 
for a host of reasons, many of which essentially boil down to because if they were written that early, then there's a lot of things in there that would have been miraculous, (laughs) (laughs) to which we would say, you think? Duh. Um, But one of the other charges that has been levied against uh, a date for uh, scripture being according to the biblical timeline is they didn't even have Hebrew in any uh, suitable form that early to have written it to have written it in, uh, and to that I simply say, cursed, 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 <laughs> cursed by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. <laughs> uh, which is the complete text of the cursed tablet that they that, just found. Is that less than 144 this, characters? <laughs> it's uh, it it really into a tweet. Uh, was this Jonah's message to Nineveh? Maybe <laughs> that's, this, that's uh, his sermon. His <laughs> sermon notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also got a kick out of this because I don't think. This was mentioned anywhere in the article, but it says it was found on Mount Ebal, mm-hmm. which uh, for you know our Old Testament scholars, when Israel entered the promised land, the blessings of the law and the curses of the law were read to the people before they entered the promised land, with the blessings being read from a, a group that were standing on Mount Gerizim. And the curses all being read from a group standing on the opposing hill, Mount Ebal. (laughs) (laughs) And so that that hill was associated with curses. And so it looks like it was a popular place to uh, bring your very expensive curse tablet and leave it hoping maybe you get a little extra juice from the original curse place. Mm. Uh, So obviously somebody was upset by by something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, They didn't mention who, though. So maybe they were embarrassed to, uh, you know. Put the name on there. I always like it. Uh, that sentence there, the discovery could be proof that the Bible is hundreds of years older than scholars previously thought. Then some scholars is, were willing to admit. Isn't that amazing it. how often the mm. scholars are wrong? Yes. I, I'm not sure what, what constitutes an expert anymore. There's a good word. Deuteronomistic. Yes. I'm liking Deuteronomistic. that. Deuteronomistic. Uh, I'm liking that. Right. Which is just, you know, a fancy way of saying I don't think... This was written when it was supposed to have been written. Uh, it was a composite later, um, many, many years later, kind of designed to help our country feel better about itself. We needed a good, a good, uh, you know, like every superhero, we needed an origin story. Let's create one. Um, but this is is a pretty massive find because it, it pushes... Um, the timeline back into when these events happened, you know, for around 1486 is when uh, Israel leaves their land of bondage to head out into the wilderness. This tablet was written about 1500 BC. Uh, so that's a long time ago. Mm. Do you see how small this thing is? Two centimeters by two centimeters. <laughs> how do you even find that? That's why I could not be an archaeologist. So that's I, a I, lot written on a tiny tablet. It is. It is. Wow. I, I do want to suggest entering another word into our vocabulary, though, and it's this one, defixio, oh, which is Latin for cursed tablet. And I think it's what we should use every time our iPads malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> the defixio error. You defixio. <laughs> <laughs> I like this uh, quote here. I think uh, Professor, uh, well, Dr. Gershon Galil from the University of Haifa says, it is clear that the person who wrote this was a genius. He was not only a scribe, he was a theologian, he was a leader, which I think is interesting considering what we just read. (laughs) 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 Cursed, cursed, cursed. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. It says here, in fact, that the curse was probably directed back at the author as a reminder to himself of God's wrath should he fail to submit to the will of God. <laughs> so that may be why the name isn't there. Uh, but fascinating, fascinating. Uh, he mentions from the book of Job, it refers mm. to writing with an iron pin on lead. Mm. Uh, the book of Job, Job understood to be a contemporary of Abraham, most likely Abraham living 2000 years BC. Uh, that means that this actual writing style may even predate uh, this of these events by another mm. almost 500 years. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what? this is a good time for, I know my, some of my, our kids or some of them are listening. Here's, here's my handy dandy Bible timeline. Um, if you're trying to put some of these events in order, I find it really handy to start with 2000. You have creation, you know, which we don't know the exact date of. Uh, but when you get to about Abraham, you can start to get a lot more mm-hmm. concrete. So if you think in 500 year chunks, you've got mm-hmm. Abraham at 2000, you've got the Exodus at 1500. Again, these are ishes, ishes. You got uh, King David at 1,000. Mm. You have the Babylonian captivity at 500. Mm. Jesus at zero. All the ecumenical councils at 500. The Great Schism at 1,000. The Reformation at 1,500. And then us at 2,000. Mm. So that's that just kind of a... Near, that means we're near the end. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but uh, Actually, we're we looking for know. a short way to divide history up into big chunks. That's, that's handy. Uh, Very yeah. handy. It's like creation. We're not quite sure how far back that was. Yeah, we're <laughs> on borrowed time. Yeah. True story. Well, that was very interesting, Chris. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, this, isn't it cool how periodically God shocks the experts? Yes. Um, but I think he does it with, it with a sense of probably delight. And uh, he, yeah. did it, he did it with the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, that was a major shocker. And that wasn't a two by, it wasn't a four square mm-hmm. centimeter uh, tablet. <laughs> nope. Uh, it was a treasure trove. Uh, but these things just keep happening. Archaeology continues to prove correct um, the Bible. And then scholars quietly move <laughs> on. Oops. <laughs> yeah. So as Christians, we should never be afraid to stick a shovel in the ground. We should never be afraid to turn over stones. We're not scared about what history and science is going to unearth. Uh, we we look forward to it because yes. it, it inevitably is going to be something that will honor God uh, and conform to his revelation and occasionally also be hilariously embarrassing to those who are mocking God. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it looks like this is probably a good time since I guess I'm in, whoever opens is kind of the master of ceremonies and aren't they? They're the MC, whoever opens yes. the show, MCs the show. So. Unless, unless they're not doing the job. The master then, of comedy. And then somebody else jumps in. Slaps them. <laughs> Sometimes. When, yeah. I, when I wax Chris too Rock long. Chris Rock was emceeing the show, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> he did get slapped. Okay, hold on a second. Since you brought it up. <laughs> yes. Um, are, are you on team... <laughs> Way to stand up for your lady, or are you on team? Uh, um, tisk tisk or rah rah. It's weird because I don't really want to be on Chris or Will's teams, right? <laughs> yeah, but but I think I think if you watched the uh, just for those of you who may not have seen this, uh, Chris Rock was around the world was emceeing <laughs> the Academy Awards what a couple weeks ago. It's funny because a lot of people didn't even know the Academy Awards had happened until afterwards, and the news came out. Well, they had like her- terrible, 
terrible uh, viewership that oh, night, I think. Worst but. ever, right? Um, so, so Chris Rock was up there and at, he's a com- professional comedian. The whole reason these comedians are on is to make jokes. And the best jokes are usually the ones that are at people's expense who are sitting there, especially like the A-list celebrities. So he made fun of... Yeah. Uh, but uh, when you heard the joke, it wasn't that bad of a joke, but he, he kind of made, he made, made fun of Will Smith's wife's haircut. Um, and, she, and by the way, it's not just a haircut. She has some kind of a, uh, a condition, I think, that she mm-hmm. loses her hair. But it wasn't a bad joke about G.I. Jane Part 2. Anyway, Will Smith is laughing. Mm. And then you see his eyes shift over and his, he sees his wife. She's not laughing. Next thing you know, he's storming, walking all flexing on Chris Rock, slaps him. And then mm-hmm. goes a proper and, slap too. And, proper slap, uh, and then kind of walks all tough guyish back to his seat where he starts shouting profanities. Uh, it was crazy uh, to to watch. And actually, I'm a Will Smith fan. Like I, I I was a fan of his when he was still a rapper, right? I thought he was mm, back in the day. Yeah, the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff, and then of course he got this <laughs> TV show Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and yeah. then I think his big break was the movie Independence Day. Yeah. He had some other stuff, but that was when he went from being, I, I saw this documentary around the, the, the studio when he was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It was mm-hmm. like, yo, Will, what's up? In the hallways. And then when Independence Day came out and it blew all the records away the following <laughs> Monday, everyone was like, Mr. hey, Smith. Mr. Smith, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But clearly an A-lister, Hollywood celebrity yeah. of sorts. But but it was crazy. Like, like there's clearly... Yeah, clearly was, some issues yeah, there. It, it was inappropriate. I mean, I, Will Smith. I'm I'm on Chris Rock's team. He was he's he's <laughs> given the job to, to to MC it. You make fun of all sorts of people, whoever's MCing, and and that was mild compared to what's normally said at these things. Yeah. Um, you know, and and roasts like this. I mean, uh, uh, Ben, uh, Pastor Ben Orchard was showed us a video of an old uh, older roast back when. Uh, who was that? Uh, Oh, oh, he was showing I us a video talking about, but I remember his name. Like back in the day, uh-huh. roast rap. Yeah, pack? well, it was a pre- no, or it was a pre- it was a president. Recent. It was uh, it was an older comedian guy who was doing this. Just, but I mean, he back was when just... they would murder you on stage oh. and you had to smile and laugh the oh, whole time. Yeah. And it was uh, <laughs> was it Reagan? Wasn't uh, yeah? Could have so. been Reagan. It was, it Reagan, was Reagan? I think yeah. they were sitting there. Yeah, Ronald okay. and yeah, Nancy, and they were they're sitting there and they were laughing and they were getting that it was a joke and that you know at his. I mean, it was anyway. But the the, the point is that that's what happens at these things all the time. If you thought, if Will thought it was inappropriate, you know, boycott it like they did a couple of years ago anyway, don't go, whatever it is. But, but then to, to, to do that, yeah, it was. I, I think Chris Rock, because the way he responded, um, by the way, it's a sign of a pretty professional response, right? I mean, he said some, the way he, the show moved on mm-hmm. because of what he did. I, I got to say, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm on, I'm not on team Chris. I'm not on team Will. I'm on team Denzel. Yeah, right. there you so, go. Yeah, that was the Denzel Washington, and I forget who else. There was some other. Again, this is these are like Hollywood royalty people. Yeah, pulled pulled Will Smith aside, I think, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I don't know what kind of church Denzel goes to. Pretty cautious about mm-hmm. declaring celebrities are saved. I, I don't know. He does have a testimony. Um, but I understand that he like prayed for him. So I, I, I'm going to go with Team Denzel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, this is probably one of the situations where the relational law of of thermodynamics comes into play. You know, for every action there is an equal but opposite reaction, and what what seemed to be taking place there was a very unequal reaction, which means 
my hunch is that there are forces at play around that event that we are not privy to. I think there. Well, there's, some, history, be, there's some historical issues when they boycotted a couple of years ago, and Chris Rock was. Uh, I don't know if it was the same, the same awards. I don't know all the details, but yeah, I mean, Chris Rock yeah. had made some jokes at at you know about his wife and stuff like that too. Yeah. So I my my guess is that the the slap and the joke are not actually. Uh, those are the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. <laughs> and the ones that got the headlines, but I don't think they are the iceberg. And so yeah. it, I, for, for him to have reacted the way he did to that level of provocation seems quite inappropriate uh, for us to assume that that's all that's going on, I think also would be pretty naive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, for those that are are on the sidelines cheering, yeah, way to stand up for your woman. It's like, that's that's not how you do it. That's yeah. the wrong reaction. That's well, the wrong reaction. And, yeah. and what's sad is that it became such a big deal because these things go viral. I mean, there's so yeah. many other things happening in the world that whether, you know, you get this, this <laughs> gathering, this gathering of all these, you know, super, you know, wealthy, successful uh, movie stars that, that we all idolize because we watch all their movies and we, whatever it may be, um, you know, and it's a show basically where they give each other awards for how cool they are. <laughs> yeah. And you're cool and you're cool and you're even cool. And we're so cool because we think you're cool is kind of how it is. And, and that that becomes something that we're like, oh man, wow, wow. You know, I, it's dumb that we even watch that thing. I mean, to some degree, right? I mean, yeah. And, did and you? fewer and fewer people watch are watching. I, I did show. not. I did not watch I it. I didn't watch it. I only, so. I only watched. It, and we were sitting there days later, and I think Anita even said, "Did you hear this thing happen with Will Smith and Chris Rock?" I'm like, "No." And she mentioned she's just reading an article. Mm-hmm. I don't think either, either of us even. I, I know I didn't. I doubt she did. Even knew that they were giving away Oscars a few days yeah. before, and no. uh, and then of course we're watching <laughs> yeah. the replay. Yeah. I find it interesting. What I mean, what he what Will did was wrong, and actually. Illegal, as I understand, Chris Rock decided said he was not yeah, going to press, not press charges. charges. Yeah, I got to say, if it was anybody but Will Smith, uh, if it was you and I, and we were guests of somebody, and we went and did that, we would have been arrested that <laughs> night, and we would have been arrested quickly, yeah. right? Tackled. Yeah. Apparently, they tried to to you know ask him to leave, but he refused to leave. Will Smith did. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did he did break even the the rules or whatever, the protocol for the evening and things like that by, by doing that. But yeah, I mean, he broke the law. I mean, I mean, they they didn't have a protocol the in there about if you need to slap somebody, do it this way. I guess not. No. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, you know, the yeah. fact, the fact, um, clearly there were issues there with Will Smith, but, but I would go, the fact that someone feels like they can even do that in the moment. Mm is pretty extraordinary. And I think it yeah. probably even speaks to, uh, I, I, these, these folks are probably surrounded with people that say yes too much. And, yeah. and, and, and because that, that's mm. what happens when you're the celebrity and, well, and their entire life is slipping into a persona and doing things that you would otherwise not be able, able to, to do, do. Yeah. and trying to make it as real as possible. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine the inhibition level, drops over time at some point. I, I would say, and maybe this is a segue for us, it's just, if anything, it is this outrageous example mm-hmm. that even us normal average Joes here probably need to work hard to, to have, not have people around us that are always agreeing with us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because what it leads to eventually is you just, you lose perspective. 
Yeah. And, uh, and you go down some dangerous paths where you begin to think, yeah, well, every idea that pops into my head must be okay. And, and I think for a lot of guys, we've talked about the great sort on this show. Um, last, we talked about this great sort where, uh, conservatives are moving from the cities to find other pockets of conservatives. Liberals are mm-hmm. moving to places that are, feel more yeah. liberal and they feel more comfortable. Last show we talked about even churches, the way we kind of self-sort because, you know, a certain style, it might be our, our style. Um, I guess it just brings attention back. And I'm thinking of that last article that we, we looked at and we were going to talk about, about guys, um, you know, what is, what does it take? What do we need to surround ourselves to be a healthy man of God? Mm-hmm. Um, not that, not that while you're up there preaching, Chris, that I'm going to storm the stage and slap you. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty extraordinary. <laughs> um, or, or in some parts of the world where they I'd throw, remember it. <laughs> they throw a shoe at you. Remember that oh, scene yeah. of George W. Bush I doing a press it. conference in Iraq and somebody a threw a duck. shoe at him. It's, if you go watch that, by the way, it's a hilarious thing to go rewatch because GW president, president GW ducks and he's mm-hmm. smiling the whole time. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but back to, back to as guys, mm-hmm. um, what, what, it's just, you know, what are things that we can be doing at any age? And this would be true for women as well, but the kinds of people we surround ourselves with, what, what are some of the things that we can be doing, um, to, to be the kind of men that Christ wants us to be. And I go even Mm -hmm. a step further to be the kind of men that our churches need us to be, which is what brought this article uh, to mind. Uh, Chris, where was this? This came out of... This was Tim Challey's okay. highlighting as a book review, um, a book called... Wow, why is that? Doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. It likes it on my other screen, though. Uh, the Men We Need. This guy's got so many screens. Screens we don't even know about. <laughs> yeah. The Men We Need by Brant Hansen. It was the book mm. he was reviewing. Uh, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, an Avid Indoorsman, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. And the author uh, expresses that he does not consider himself a quote unquote manly man. He says, I don't even hunt. I play the accordion. I'm an avid indoorsman. I own puppets. <laughs> well, we got to call his masculinity into question uh, on the we, last one. Tracking up to Well, the, I like candles and you guys haven't been too hard uh, on me. So. Oh, it will be coming <laughs> later in the article. <laughs> yep. But I do agree uh-huh. that, um, you know, that that is a, a an important question today is, what are we trying to do as men? And then how do I find a place where that can be fostered and encouraged? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that to me was the more interesting thing that came out of the slap was not even so much trying to figure out the dynamics of why and all that jazz, but that it once again uh, brought the conversation to the fore of what is what is masculinity? What's it supposed to look like? Uh, mm-hmm. The divisions that that raised in our country uh, for all kinds of reasons. And uh, one one aspect of masculinity that was on display in what Will Smith did is something that I think we do need to see more of, but I don't think it was on display in the right way. Mm. And that is a, a man who... Uh, I'm trying to think of how I would even phrase it exactly but somebody who will who will take decisive strong action mm. uh on the behalf of what he loves and is responsible for and and it was a strong it was a it was a very strong statement 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was it was a sinful statement. I don't think he had any biblical grounds <laughs> to do to do that. But it was it was not a it was not done with fear and trepidation and hand wringing. It was not um, this weak uh, permission seeking kind of um, safe masculinity that our culture wants. Right. It was. It was just a firm decision followed through on. And I think for that reason, it was appealing to some. So I think there was something about that that our culture was like, you know, I think there's a bit of, there's a bit of that that is masculine. It's interesting. But, it was, a, was it, but it was in the wrong way. A glimmer of chivalry. Right. May, maybe. Maybe. But, but obviously. Or at least, or at least in the guise of chivalry. Yeah. But it, it, it does, when, a, when the fact that there's even a debate about this. Right. Team Chris, Team Will, or Team Jada, his wife. <laughs> the fact that there's even a debate, not in this room, but in in it, yeah, it's kind of died down now because these people have PR firms that make these stories go away. But but the fact there's even a debate is interesting because it suggests that our society, our culture, realizes that the status quo, there's something wrong, right? The demonization of guys, guys that do try to stand up and protect, are kind of mocked. Um, or, or, um, called toxic at times. And there is, there are toxic people, but I think it's interesting. The fact that there's even a debate suggests that people think, you know what, guys should step up more. Um, not like that, but, but guys should stand in the, in the way, you know, to, to look at this article, to protect the vulnerable, there's a, a protective element to, to being a guy. There is. Yeah. And one thing I do appreciate about this this book and the article about the book is that he does center biblical masculinity and, and appropriate masculinity on the concept of taking responsibility. And I do think that that is the best one word summary you can find of the essence of biblical masculinity. And, and you know, there's the, the pushback of, so what you're saying is that women are not supposed to be responsible, you know, and it's well, like, of course, I'm, not. of course, that's not what you're saying. <laughs> no, it's not what I'm saying. And it is what I'm saying. <laughs> and by that, I mean, responsibility is a word that has a really broad semantic range. Um, it can, it can mean at its broadest, just acting, acting in a responsible or mature or wise way, Right. Uh, so when we see somebody do something foolish, we say that was irresponsible. We see something, mm-hmm. somebody do something wise. We say, oh, that was responsible. And so in its broadest sense, yes, that is what that means. But there is a unique level of accountability that comes to men. Uh, there's an, there's an accountability for my home that my mm-hmm. wife doesn't share. Right. Uh, there is a, there is a degree to which, yes, we are both responsible to God for how we live out uh, our biblical masculinity and femininity, our godly Christian example in front of our children. We will both give an account one day, but there is a level of accountability that is unique to me as the father. Mm. And it would still be my accountability, even if I was an absent father, mm. right? God, God would still say, Hey, you know, that family you were never a part of, you are accountable for having not been a part of it and not being a righteous part. Uh, so that, that, that kind of accountability is a unique aspect of masculinity, and therefore there is a uniqueness to the importance of men in particular striving after the shouldering up underneath responsibilities to seek to have things for which they are accountable. Uh, and that's more than just being wise. That is saying, I, I want this to be something that I will, I will invest myself in that I will attach my name to as something that I, I am willing to give an account for and seek the good of. 
And so that, that, that I do think is a really important part of what it means to be a man. Mm. Uh, and it is unique. It, is, it does not look the same, I would argue, uh, in biblical femininity, which is not to say that women can't be responsible for things and they can't have ownership of things and they can't have accountability for things. But there's a uniqueness to that, I think, in biblical masculinity. I like how um, in, in your <laughs> I like how in the article it reinforces what you're saying there where um, there's an item here where Hansen says make women and children role of a man is to make women and children feel safe, not threatened. I like how he unpacks that. Uh, he says, I'm trying to be this kind of man, a man who makes his wife feel secure and protected. I know my wife is every bit my equal. I know she's highly intelligent and strong and creative and funny. I know she can survive with or without me, but it's my goal to see her thrive and flourish. Mm -hmm. I believe in her so strongly. I'm excited about what she can yet become. I think that encapsulates it. This protective element isn't simply uh, protecting against danger. It's also providing necessary support within the protected perimeter to, um, and this would go for our children as well, that, that they feel safe and secure. I, I think, um, you know, my, my dad, as I, as we're talking about this, my, my dad was, was not the, the man's man in the sense that, for example, that the Eastern Washington would define it. He wasn't, didn't try. Did he, did he hate huckleberries? No, I liked huckleberries. Oh, okay. Well, so, then he's fine. Well, he could have been a spokenite, <laughs> um, but, but he wasn't, a, I, I, th I think there's no way he could have been a hunter. He probably would have cried if he shots. Mm. Um, there was no, he didn't drive a big pickup truck. Um, he wasn't, um, he wasn't, you know, Mr. Macho about everything. Huge guy, former football player, big man, strong man. But, but when I think of the, and part of my testimony is that um, my parents both grew up in rough, really rough settings, um, non-Christian. My dad's case, a lot of uh, criminal activity and jail time and things like that. Um, but when he got saved, and when my mom got saved, both of them in their later teen years, um, they got married. And in spite of having no example of how to, what a godly household looks like in terms of no example in their own lives, my sister and I grew up in a, in a home setting that was safe and fun and godly. So I think that in, in a way that, I mean, that reflects his biblical masculinity, right? Um, that you don't have to be the guy that, that, I mean, we've got a lot of guys around here that do a lot of outdoorsy stuff. And I think that's great. Um, but that doesn't necessarily define your masculinity. No, it doesn't. Uh, and there was an exchange. I can't remember if I mentioned on, on the porch before that I always thought was kind of amusing, there was an article years ago uh, I ran across that was chronicling the massive drop in testosterone levels that men experience specifically after the birth of a first child in your family if you spend time with your child. Oh. Uh, and it, they, they chronicled getting married does not uh, trigger this phenomenon. Just having a kid doesn't trigger the phenomenon. But as soon as you've had a kid that you have spent time with, uh, there's a there's a significant uh, drop in in masculinity and or not masculine in testosterone. I'm, I'm, yes, level. I'm jumping ahead <laughs> in, in testosterone. Yeah, some uh, hot headed young lads were jumping into the comment section on this article saying, "Well, I ain't never having a kids then. It steals your masculinity." <laughs> and and a lady jumped in in a, and in a very articulate way said, "You know, throughout all of recorded history." 
a man who will find a woman and be loyal to her and raise children and care for them has been the calling card of masculinity. What you're trying to protect is not masculinity, but mm. barbarism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm. and I thought, and immaturity, Ooh. right? Boyish yeah, immaturity. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a barbarian <laughs> nature to a wild man that is un, unmastered and untamed. That is not actually, we're not actually trying to protect that. One of my pushbacks maybe to the way this is phrased and it may be just because of even some of the events that have unfolded in the last couple of years, and I'm so tired of hearing safety first, safety first, safety oh, yeah. first, is when I see that to make women and children feel safe and not threatened, I don't know that you would even say that that's even true of our Heavenly Father, right? He, he often calls his children to go into places specifically because they're not, they're not safe and they are threatening, and, and sometimes he calls them to suffer and to die. Um, but maybe a, maybe a better way to phrase it. And again, I, I think understanding what he's trying to communicate, I, I largely agree with the sentiment. But as, yeah. as I'm just rolling it around in my head, admitting that I'm being a little um, nitpicky, I wonder if a better no. way to put it is... To fill an environment in which there are women and children that you are responsible for um, with the fruit of the spirit. Uh, that it, because you can have an environment that's dangerous, but that is still full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, love, self control, knowing that we're still in a spiritual war. Uh, I think of all those people, all those families, um, you know, one. One practical example would be people have talked a lot about President Zelensky in, in Ukraine and, and how he and his family have remained in the Ukraine. Um, that's incredibly dangerous, right, for, for him to be there. But he has understood that it is his duty and the duty of his family to remain with their homeland. And, and so he, he, in that sense, does he fail the test of masculinity because he did not take his family and flee? And I don't know if I would say that that's a failure of masculinity. Yeah. And there are times, you know, you guys have both been on the mission field. Um, you, you understand what that dynamic looks like. There are times when you have to go to a place just because the, it is a dangerous place to go because the gospel isn't known there. Uh, and is it a failure of masculinity for a man to to propose to a woman and say, hey, God's calling me to go to this very dangerous place and bring the gospel there. Would you go with me? Is that a failure of masculinity because he's taking her to a place that is, that is dangerous? Um, I don't think so. Now, if he's the dangerous one, yeah, that was going to add I that. I think that's where <laughs> maybe the clarity the is. Yeah, I think right? that's where the clarity yeah. is missing. He needs to be a strong force for good or their good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will keep them where they are safe if that is not what is best. Uh, and and you know, that's a delicate balance. Yeah, It's a great point. You know, who comes to mind is that, um, that book review I did on a movie once, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the free Burma Rangers documentary. Yeah, right. That's right. a good example. Um, that guy, uh, actually did propose to, yeah. to a girl, I think at the top of Mount Rainier mm -hmm. and, and said, will you go with me? And they went to Burma because of a civil war mm -hmm. and he, his children, his now young adults are out there with them, not just in Burma, they were in Syria, they were in Iraq. Um, but I'll bet those kids and I'm bet his wife, especially in, in the documentary, you can see this, 
they trust him. They're not, he's not a danger to them, but by all means, right. they're walking into dangerous situations yes. for the glory of the Lord. Uh, I think that's pretty, it's a good distinction to make because there is a, you know, who else comes to mind? Mountaineers. So uh, whenever I'm watching, and I don't think my mom's a listener to the show. I don't think she's a podcast <laughs> listener person. But uh, whenever, when she comes to visit now and then. Are we about to find out? Like <laughs> We're about to find out. Are you going to get a call in a few minutes now? If she <laughs> my, what's, my WhatsApp will start ringing with an international call from Nate? mom. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I like watching documentaries on mountain climbing and that sort of thing. And yeah. I, I remember last time she was staying with us, so I'm watching one on Everest. And, and I could tell, like it. I ended up turning it off. Not only was she annoyed, she was angered by the show. And, uh, and what was angering her was, you know, the folly of it all. These guys are <laughs> wasting their lives. And, and, I, and she's not the only one I've heard say these things. Right. But um, I kind of admire it, even though I think they're misguided <laughs> in some ways. Um, but I kind of admire it. Like there's something... Yeah. These guys aren't just drawn to the danger, but they don't let the danger stop them from achieving their vision, right? Now, right. sometimes death stops them. Yep. But the, the other thing that's interesting about these kinds of people, it's not just guys, there's women up too, but it's predominantly males, at least what I see, is if these guys gave it up and went and got a job at Home Depot, not that there's anything wrong with Home Depot, they would probably... Shrivel up into depression, right? Like the part of their spirit is on mm -hmm. display. Part of their spirit and who they are in terms of adventurers, explorers, is uh, that passion is on display when they're up there. Yeah. And and the fact is, if they if they did shrivel up and their goal became to be just prolonging the years I've got here. They really cease to be who they are. In fact, I think, because one of the things my mom would say is, you know, they're risking their lives, they're not thinking about their families. And I'm thinking if this guy was back at home going to an office cubicle every day, their families would probably run away after a while. This guy <laughs> would go and he'd drive them nuts. Um, all that's in a secular context. But I do think it's interesting that our God is not a safe no. God. Uh, no. And that's not what makes us feel safe around him. Right. Right. He's active. Uh I think for those of us here in the church, um, not just this church that we're sitting in right now, but church in, in general, uh, I, there's something to be said for the action of our God. And, um, and he's not, but it's, it's planned. It's specific. God is a God of order. And I think as his, as his sons, we can't be just loose cannons running around from one thing to the next, uh, need to be be led by the spirit, but mm -hmm. being led by the spirit means you're moving, <laughs> you're not just sitting, waiting, you're following God and mm -hmm. you're following his spirit in order to do that. You have to be in tune with him. Um, but I, I think just again, this, what kind of men does the church need? It's a good reminder mm -hmm. for each of us. Um, we've each been gifted different personalities. The guys listening to this podcast have different personalities, but but the church needs us and they need us to obey God and, and really uh, use the personalities we have, the gifts we have, the, the passions that we have, the styles that we might have, use all of it for his glory, as opposed to uh, what comes to mind is that parable about the guy, uh, the, the guy gave the talent, the various talents to his managers and mm -hmm. one guy, few of them invested it and achieved a return and one guy buried it. 
and uh, and then said to his master, "I know you're you're a harsh man," <laughs> and and of course the question is, yeah, you knew I was a harsh man, so why didn't you do something yes. with the gifts I gave you instead <laughs> yeah. of just burying mm-hmm. it and sitting on it? Uh, In other words. You're lying. <laughs> and you just have a bad attitude. So, so good. I mean, we, not that I don't want to say we serve a harsh God, but he's, no. he, there is a fierceness to him that requires our, our, our awe and our reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we live in, in his favor because of what he has done for us through Christ. But I think God mm-hmm. just wants us to be busier probably than we, than we want to be. There's a, it's pretty comfortable sitting here in this chair, yakking into this microphone, but, um, uh, God wants us to to get out there and be the kind of men in our families and in our community uh, that he's called us to be. Yeah. And I think that circles all the way back to the responsibility concept um, to own, own our responsibilities. And, and that can be, that can be convicting. Uh, I, and it's, that starts with big things like, uh, do I really recognize I'm going to give an account to God for my family? And, if I had to pull out the ledger books right now and document, <laughs> okay, how have I done in being responsible for this family? What would that actual accounting look like? Uh, positively and negatively, what am I doing to actively undermine this family <laughs> that I should be stopping? Uh, and what am I doing proactively to build them up? Uh, and where am I, where am I deficient? That then moves out to every other sphere that we're involved in. Uh, but I think even beyond that, there's there's an aspect of responsibility. Again, figure out how I want to put this into a phrase. It's not just the busyness of our activity. Um, it's it's our it's our our committed fervency for for the long term mm. mission. Because um, a lot of us are really good at burning bright for very short bursts and the kind of responsibility that successfully accomplishes God's purposes for man is the kind of responsibility that shows up in the little things. And, and that can be, that's, that's where I find the most conviction. It's those decisions around the home that I'm procrastinating on because I'm hoping eventually Azumi will make the decision for me <laughs> because I don't want to mm. take ownership of the fact that I have to give an account for how this situation turns out and therefore I need to be invested in it. Uh, and I'm thankful I have a wife who is very gracious, but will occasionally remind me that that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's true. Um and and in so many other ways, what are the what are the areas in our life that we should be taking accountability for that we're just not wanting to because it requires work, it requires sacrifice, it requires giving up our own little idols, uh, and it's it's those little victories that collectively become the the life of a of a godly man. I think that busyness you talked about probably a better word is obedience, and uh, what comes to mind, I, I had uh, my, not many people probably know this because it's not that important of a story, <laughs> but I've shared it with Anita. Um, when I was in probably junior high, went to a private Christian school in Guam and uh, be, being a private Christian school, it also had better education than the local schools, which meant most of the kids that went there were not Christians, in fact. So... <laughs> It was, it was a Christian school full of non-Christians, right? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I got to go because I was a pastor's kid, so we got a deal, but it was too expensive otherwise. But I remember um, I have this distinct memory one day waiting to be picked up uh, because my parents would pick me up um, from school. And a number of the boys, probably four or five of them, were making fun of this one girl. Hmm. They were bullying her. And, and I'm, I'm, it's crazy. I don't know how many years I could calculate how many years this go, but I feel like I'm there now. And I stood there at a distance and did not join in. Cause that the fact, the thought of joining in was, is, was unconscionable even then, but I didn't do anything. And so I stood there and watched it happen at a distance, probably 50 feet away. And Heather, that was her name, crying as these guys were saying whatever it was. My mom pulls up and she ran over and hugged her. And to this day, I regret not doing something. And, um, and I say that, that experience and the regret of that has actually driven me over the decades. There are mm-hmm. times that something happens or I see something and you don't have to go in and be a jerk fist swinging or slap someone. But I think part of a guy's role ought to be, and some women, sure, but certainly us guys, part of our role ought to be to step in and protect people. And, and it's not always comfortable. There are times, mm. and there are times even in a work sense where it's cost me, mm. um, but I've regretted it ever since. Like I was a kid, right? I don't even know how old I was. And I told Nita that. The fact is, I've even tried to find Heather decades later. Hmm. Can't find her. Um, fact is, she hopefully doesn't even remember it. But I regret deeply not walking over there and standing up for her. Not that we had any real relationship, but it was what was happening was wrong. Right. Injustice was taking place. And if anything, that's hmm. probably that probably lights my fire about passivity. And there's certainly a time for patience. There's certainly to wait on the Lord. There's certainly times when we're enduring hardship and it is, it is part of God's plan for us, refining us. But when you look into situations, maybe it's at home where you've got one kid, maybe the kids are being disrespectful to mom upstairs or they're being terrible to each other. Um, I think it's easier to just kind of let it blow over or let mom take care of it. There's also a time and sometimes, sometimes a little bit of patience to see if God, if, if the training, the parenting that's going on leads them to repent in the moment. There's also a time to go and intervene, not physically like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. um, But there's a time, I just think that's part of our, our, our role as guys not to not to dive in there obnoxiously and violently out of control, but there's a meekness in my mind. You know, what I wish young Nate had done at the time is walk over there and basic and stand between them and her and stand up for her, you know, basically take the fire. Um, so I just, I, you know, as guys, I think that's just part of the protective thing that we ought to do, not just for our families, but when you see, people out in the community um, tell you the truth. What immediately comes to mind is the parable of the good Samaritan, which Mm -hmm. is Jesus explaining what the second greatest commandment is. Love thy neighbor Mm -hmm. as thyself. 
And uh, I forget who the fellow was, but he asked Jesus, you know, well, who is my neighbor? Okay, I'll explain to you who the neighbor is. It's the one that does something, not the guys that avoid it or not my problem. Um, but the, the person that steps in there, not for your own glory, but for the glory of our father and what is right and what is just. So, uh, boy, long story. I didn't mean to take us to an hour and 11 minutes with that. But um, but I just there's something there that, mm. that, that again, as you can tell, it's resonated with me for as I do the quick calcs in my head, 33 and a half years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but, but also uh, that regret has, as I think in some ways, God's used it to refine and say, you know, when there, when you, it is, when you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it, you're actually doing wrong. Right. Yeah. So, um, you yeah. know, hopefully there's some wisdom there for us. Indeed. And the, the chief example, I think, as we go into this weekend, tomorrow's good Friday, Sunday is Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, we are excited about the day that will come when Christ returns and he'll be on his war horse and he will take care of business and it will be all shock and awe. Uh, but that is not actually the primary example we are called to imitate. You know, as men, the the aspect of Christ's life we are called to imitate was his death, uh, was his sacrifice. And and that, that doesn't sound as fun. <laughs> I think a lot of us... Wish we could just hop on our war horses and go wage holy war for yeah. whatever it is we think is right and good and true. More often than not, what we what we need to do, what we must do, is is be willing to lay down our privileges, lay down our rights, lay down our comforts uh, for those around us. And that's a a great way to honor Christ as we remember Him this week. Amen. Amen. Before mm. before He rode a horse to victory, He allowed Himself to hang on a cross, mm-hmm. and that was where His glory came. Uh, I was glorified because of his sacrifice. Well, with that said, uh, probably a good time to roll out. And since I found Indeed. out I inherited the soccer practice tonight, I better Woo-hoo. get going. Yeah. Um, I got to think of what to do. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> run a practice in a while. Lots of drills. Okay. That's right. I'll go with that. I'll be YouTubing it on the drive over. Excellent. Um, <laughs> guys, thank you very much. Uh, we Here we are mid-Holy Week. We got yes. Good Friday coming up. And... Um, and I guess that's a great way where you ended us there, Chris, is a great way to begin to shift our gaze um, to tomorrow. Yes. Where Christ, Christ's leadership was, his, it was demonstrated by his sacrifice. And, uh, and to quote our, our, our brother in the Lord, Tony Campolo, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You guys ever hear that message? That's probably, you're probably <laughs> oh, too, yeah. you two are probably too young. I do for know that, that phrase. Oh, too young. You're not much older than I am. <laughs> but, uh, this is a glorious weekend, not for us, but for our Lord. And, uh, and I guess in a way for us, because we, we are beneficiaries of it. So I want to close us out here on the porch and uh, thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and ask you to uh, join us in shifting your gaze to the amazing sacrifice that Christ um, gave on our behalf for the glory of himself and the Lord and his father. And of course, as we go into Good Good Friday, which in many ways is a dark Friday because of all that mm-hmm. happened, uh, what a great example for each us as guys and and even our um, you ladies out there listening in with us um, to to lay down our lives as a sacrifice, um, but we do it out of obedience and Philippians chapter four with rejoicing because of who God is, and we pr- uh, wish you a great Easter weekend. I hope that we'll see you on this resurrection day, or if you're not here with uh, with us, 
just thought of that sunrise service <laughs> you're doing, Chris. Yeah. Mean, that's going to be rough, man. But uh, <laughs> sacrifice, <laughs> sacrifice, Nate. Here I'm talking about sacrifice. <laughs> I don't want to get out of bed. Uh, but I do hope that uh, for you, our listeners, that you will su- spend the time this weekend not just prepping for whatever fe- family festivities you might be involved in, but also um, lifting your heart to the wonderful God that we serve. He is risen. He is risen indeed.